Holy Spirit, we pray that you just uh, bless our time. We give it over to you as a sacrifice. Um, We intentionally choose to focus on you and you alone. And I know you're going to speak to our hearts, Lord. It's promised in your word that when we come before you and in your throne, Lord, especially when we gather together as a group, um, that you are there. And uh, Father, we know that you're good and that you'll speak to our hearts. You'll convict us, you'll challenge us, you'll encourage us. I pray that it would all just be filtered, Lord, um, through knowing that you're our loving Father, Lord. And so I pray that when you connect with our hearts, whether it be just a, just a big explosion inside of us or an actual touch, Lord, that gives us goosebumps or something that just resonates with us, I pray that we would not just put that off. I pray that we would not procrastinate about it, not be complacent, Father. I pray we'd be hungry and be aggressive, Lord, towards after hearing more of what you have to say. And we just pray that this morning that some things, Lord, would just be stirred up in us, Lord, and that you just minister to us. The Holy Spirit, teach us, as only you can do. May you just bless our children that we have next door. Watch over them and keep them safe. We pray that those seeds being planted... Lord, that you would protect those seeds. That we would be, as a church family, uh, good stewards of our children, Lord. So, God, we thank you, Lord, for what we have, Father. May we be good stewards, Lord, so we can be entrusted to more. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're going to jump in here uh, to the letters. Uh, we're going to probably ask the First Corinthians. We're going we're gonna to study through another one, but... Um, it's going to be fun uh, going through these letters because Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you know, I might see Galatians maybe after this. Um, all of this stuff is super practical. And it, it makes it very easy to connect with maybe more than if you were to read through maybe Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Um, there's stuff there, but it, it requires a little bit more work. It's easier, easier to connect the dots a little bit when we're studying through these letters like this. Um, and, uh, and Corinthians, they, uh, I guess maybe the Lord put this book on my heart because this church, like, I, I wonder if there's some part of Paul um, where he's like, you know, that didn't go so well. Like these guys and women, this church is a wreck. They are. Like, it's, it's not good. And, you, and, like, maybe even part of you would think that, well, if Paul planted a church, that must be ridiculous. I mean, he's Paul. He's like the guy where if people just touched a handkerchief that he had, he would move and touch them and heal them. So he's like the ultimate church planner. Not too long after he leaves from this spot, they're just in all kinds of a mess. Um, they're divided. Um, they are defiled. And uh, they are just kind of disgusting. Is what, like what happens within their church. It gets really funky. So it's very interesting as far as where you look at the roots of where they started and then what happened to where they got. And apparently they're maybe possibly a little bit thick-headed because 
Paul wrote three letters to him. We don't have the third, but Paul wrote three letters to him, and it's like whatever was going on wasn't connecting. I can resonate with that a little bit. Sometimes I need three, four, five, six letters, you know, send that one. But it's going to be interesting. And, and what we're going to focus on today is seeing, like, because these guys were divided, they were defiled, they are even deceived. I like it. We'll just keep it with the all Ds. That was good, right? So let's see if we can remember. They were divided. Say divided. Divided. Right, so let's go. They were defiled. Defiled. We'll talk more about that. And then they were deceived. Deceived, right? So there you go, three Ds. So that's, if you had to summarize their church in a rough summarization, that could be it, okay? And so we'll focus on kind of their roots, because within their roots was a really good game plan, but it's just... Many times you see a picture of a church like this, and then you see also in the Old Testament the nation of Israel. Many times that nation of Israel in the Old Testament, churches like this, it, it's when we read and we look at it, it's really just a picture of the own human heart. You just go through these stages, and it doesn't have to be this way, but many times, the human heart just, maybe, hopefully, will respond to God, number one. That's a good starting point, responding to God and wanting to be in relationship. And then the battle is just on for that quick and immediate and that authentic and transparent obedience. The battle is just on. And as we grow and become more mature as Christian brothers and sisters, the gap of his voice speaking to us and us carrying through, that becomes smaller and smaller. So when we're really in a full level of maturity with God, that means we're perfect. Nobody laughed. Come on, you got to laugh at that. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Oh, man. It's not even early. Like, it's the week after Easter. Come on. Rough. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. But what it does mean, it means that we're hungry. It means that we're intentional about hearing from him and moving in that direction. It means that there's less of a hunger for us trying to figure out why he might say that and what possible value might be in what he said. Let's not waste time in those areas. Let's not waste time in, oh, why could he have said that? And how could this play out? And how might that be good? And what it might cost? Listen, if we're sold out and he's our God and he's our king, let's just go after it. Let's go after it. The details will be taken care of later, I promise because he's a good, good father, right? It's going to be all right. Got to trust it. So let's take a look at this root stuff. Um, so let's read it, and, and then we'll get into some stuff here. So it says, um, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. It says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy Together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Something kind of funny about that intro is that. Um, so this area and this location wasn't too far from Athens, and it was pretty 
the economy was like, it was pretty happening, it was pretty jamming, it was a seaport there, there's a lot of just commerce going through, and they, they were doing pretty well. Um, but just morally, it was just like, it was bad. Um, so many times, if somebody was, you know, really not living a good life and just, it wasn't good, very immoral, they'd actually be referred to as a Corinthian. Like, you, you know, you're a funky, you're a Corinthian. So the part that's somewhat humorous in there, at least to me, is that Paul says, he says in verse 2, he said, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere, and in some versions calls them saints. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Corinthian isn't their identity. Man or woman isn't their identity. Job is never identity. It's always found in Jesus. That's where identity is always found how funky we are, where we've been, or what we've done. And we know what we have. When a life is surrendered, and a lifestyle of repentance is there, and we're going after it, that's just how God knows us. Holy, blameless, and pure. How can that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus is amazing. Like I, it's amazing that that love would want to do that, and is willing to do that, has already done that. It's awesome. So he doesn't say to the messed up church at Corinth. He's like, man, to the saints, to the holy ones who are struggling. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus our Christ. Verse 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, in Jesus, you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He's just pumped up about these guys. It's like, man, I've been with you. I've been in the trenches with you. It's just awesome to see how God is speaking and is working amongst you guys. You're far from perfect, but God obviously has his grace on you and is just enriching you guys. He's excited about it. Therefore, right, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It's a significant mark about the Corinthian church. As funky as it was with all those D words going on, Spiritual gifts were just flowing right through that place. It's just amazing. Which hopefully, I hope you hear about part of that is also, you don't have to be perfect either to be functioning and working in the Spirit of God and with His gifts. We'll talk more about that. Crickets. Verse 8. He will keep you strong to the end. Who's going to keep you strong? Come on, give us a little tool of Jesus. Do it. Come on, one more time. Come on, come on. Jesus. All right, one last time. Jesus. There you go. He would be proud. He's next door doing Sunday school. We're going to tell him. That's it. That's on tape, too. He will, Jesus, right? He'll keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So silly to go to anywhere else for strength. It's just really silly. It's just silly. And we do it. It's annoying. Verse 9. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, he is, say it. Come on, guys, say it. Thank you, yes. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some come from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. 
One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That's interesting right there. There's like a lot of time and energy spent as far as like delivering a message in like a way that can be received well and very clever and intricate. And I, I don't know how much Paul invested into that. He's like, if I do that, I might get like a lot of glory for that and I might seem like really smart and cool. I want Jesus to seem really smart and cool. So that's what I'm going to focus on. It's very interesting. Verse 18, for the message, say the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power, say the power. Power. It is the power of God. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Sounds confusing, but we'll get there. Verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Tell me that's not a refrigerator, Facebook, Twitter verse, right? These are ones you memorize. Verse 26. Brothers, think of it what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I see C.C. Noggy all over that. We don't have a super impressive resume. Thank God it doesn't really matter. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I'll just go a little bit more. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence, or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's crazy how it keeps going back to that, right? I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, 
but on God's power. It's good stuff. He's going to get to this whole division issue and how to handle it and what's going on. And man, I hope you didn't miss verses 26 through 31 there. It's just got destiny written all over it. Say destiny. It's got destiny written all over it. Saying, I don't care where you've been, what has happened, it doesn't matter. Surrender your life to me. I'll take you places you never dreamed of. You'll function in ways you've never imagined. Yeah, see, Justin's excited about that because he knows something about that, right? Many times it's just like Christian rhetoric until it actually happens in a life. Then it's a reality that you can never take from someone. So let's take a look. Corinthian church. Corinthian church was rooted in, what are some of the roots? It was rooted in a passion for sharing. Rooted in a passion for sharing. A passion for talking about the gospel. Sharing about the gospel. Sharing about the good news. Talking about Jesus. That's how this church started. It wasn't like they had a game plan of, hey, we're going to start a church here. It wasn't like that at all. It happened out of somebody with a just an overflowing heart of, this is so amazing, God is so good, I have to tell whoever will listen. That's what it started from. It didn't start from a big bank account. It didn't start from an amazing seminary degree. It didn't start with knowing all the right people. If anything, you had the wrong resume. All it started from was an abundance of, I know who God is, and I have to share it with whoever will listen. That's how this started. Please don't ever minimize that inside of your life. It's very important. And you have to fan that flame. Because it'll stay small. And the enemy is very aware of it. And he does not want you to know what he already knows. Fan that flame when you're excited about Jesus and excited about God. Not everybody will respond in the same excited way. It's okay. Fan that flame of knowing who he is and staying close to him. Acts 18, right? Remember I said keep your finger there? Verses 6 through 8. This is how it went down. And I'm just going to pick out a couple of things here. I'm going to kind of jump, okay? So just bear with me. So Acts 18, uh, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. He just left where he was, and he just showed up at this town. was no real plan. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So he just ended up hooking up with this married couple that was there, Aquila and Priscilla. So he had no game plan. He just showed up there. He ended up meeting this married couple. And it says that in um, verse 3, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So they just had similar occupations, so they just hooked up. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In verse 5, it talks about how Silas and Timothy came and helped him out. And then in verse 6, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, so remember he would go to the synagogue and go in there and try and persuade, right? It wasn't received well. 
they became abusive. That's what it says. He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. A.K.A., I'm trying. It's not connecting. In fact, you're flat out saying you don't want it, so I'm not going to force it down your throat. I'm going to who wants to hear it. There may be some places in life where there's unique situations where the Spirit is saying, hey, push hard in this situation. Push, push hard. Like, give them the gospel. Um, be a little more aggressive. But that's, that's not a lot. It's not a lot. But there could be seasons of it, so don't totally rule it out either. But in this situation, he just knew, hey, it's not happening. Time to move on to the next place. So it's really funny. What he did is right next door. What does he do? He, so he's like, I'm done with the synagogue here. He goes to the house next door. <laughs> awesome marketing strategy. It's great. Verse 7. Then Paul of the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him were bap- uh, believed and were baptized. That's just awesome. So he goes, man, it's just like, ah, it's just, it, it's just not connecting. Whatever, you know? I'm going next door to Justice's house. Go in there. What ends up happening is the ruler of the synagogue, right, the one that he would go to normally, where they became abusive and they said, get out of here. The guy who ruled that, he ends up getting saved, and his whole household and everybody that believes, and they get baptized. It's just awesome. It's awesome. So the way that this church starts is not with some great scheme, with some elaborate plan that was detailed out, and God told them every part of it. That's pretty common, the way God works. He does have an elaborate plan that's pretty amazing and will stretch us beyond what we know and will break us a lot of times so that he can really shine through. But he's going to do something amazing out of it. He really will. So this, the roots here were just based on sharing. I, I've been with Jesus. I've been with God. I know who he is. I have to share it. Fan that flame in your heart. So this thing was rooted in a passion. And it's interesting that you can tell it's a passion because he was keeping up a job while he was doing it. He said, like, I don't even care. I'll just I'll work while I'm doing it. It doesn't even matter. And then when his friends showed up, uh, Timothy and Silas, they brought some money from another church. He didn't have to work. It's like, oh, awesome. Now I can just do this pretty much all the time. You know? So it's awesome. So for me personally, like I can resonate with that because as we planted this church for really the bulk of the existence of this church, with, you know, there was no money attached to it. Julie and I, nothing, nothing for the Murphy household. It was just that, listen, we know who God is. We know who Jesus is. It's a hurting area. We think God put on our hearts. We've got to figure out a way to put them in contact with Jesus Christ. He will transform their life and do an amazing work doesn't matter what it costs us. And I can't lie to you. On some days, I'm like, I don't know how smart that was. But on most days, I'm like, thank you, Lord. It's good. It's good. Because it's not about whatever immediate reward may or may not happen now. It's just about being obedient to what he says, and wherever it falls, it falls. 
just have to trust in his hand. So you can tell he's passionate about it. He's willing to work, not work, whatever. doesn't matter. Just give me a chance to share it with somebody. To somebody that will listen. I wrote down a trap to avoid with this. There's a trap that could, that could happen with this. Um, the trap is this. If we do a lot of this, a lot of talking, our living has to match up. Otherwise, it's, it, it really doesn't work out. You shoot yourself right in the foot, and everybody sees it. Everybody knows. Everybody's always watching. So it definitely has to, it's got to be consistent. It's got to be. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's just confusing. And other people are thinking, well, how much do they even buy into it? Or do they just say it so that people think they are a certain way? So we just got to be careful on that trap, you know, while we're sharing and talking all that. And it's true that many times, don't miss this point, it's true that many times the Spirit will move us and cause us to um, talk about things and share things that we might not have much personal experience with. He definitely will. He'll put us in places sometimes where it's like, we'll read something in the Bible or like come across and be like, I don't have a lot of experience really with that. So I don't know if I should be talking about it. I would strongly encourage you that you should still be talking about it. Because what counts is his life and his experience and what he has done. But you have to be humble about that. The second we, met, we are like not humble about it and we act like we really have experience or been a part of something that we've read and we, we honestly really know hasn't connected in our lives really quite yet. Right, that's like hypocritical. So we got to be careful of that. So there's many times, man, I, I can't think of all the Sundays where we've come across a passage and something has happened and I'm trying to think of... Um, you know, Lazarus, not too long ago, you know, he rises from the dead. Like, I don't know anything about that. I, I've yet to go to a cemetery anywhere and get up. Let's go. And I, so it's like, how do you even talk about that? I don't even, like... So I think it'd be a mistake, though, to be like, well, I don't know about it, and it's so much work to try and figure out what to talk about that I'll just talk about something else. That's not good. Why we still focus in on his power, what he has done, and that's still alive in the Christian. Maybe we haven't seen many manifestations of raising people from the dead. That doesn't mean he can't do whenever he wants to do it. So don't eliminate it from our radar. I wouldn't even eliminate it from some of our prayer lives. Maybe God puts on your heart to just pray for someone that just died. Then pray. Or maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. Point being, we just don't discount stuff if it hasn't been part of our experience. If it was part of Jesus's and he says it's inherited to us, we should really pay attention to it. That makes sense, I hope, right? Because it doesn't make you presumptuous and it doesn't make you like arrogant or hypocritical if you're honest about it. Because when it says this, I, I honestly don't know much about it, but I, I'm believing to see more of that stuff happen in my life. That's where I'm standing on it. It's good to be honest. People appreciate that. Because you're not the Christian that knows it all and has it all together. Okay, number two. Corinth Church was rooted in 
A passion for sharing. A passion for sharing. Number two, church was rooted in the most unlikely convert. It was rooted in the most unlikely convert. And there's probably plural, but we'll just talk about one. Acts 18, since you're still there, take a look at verse 15. Uh, verse 14. Ah, sorry, verse 12. Okay, here we go. I had 12 down too, but I, I tried to skip. All right. While, so Acts 18, verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. You can always expect some sort of like fight back when you're going after the Lord in an aggressive way. You're going to experience resistance. And it doesn't mean it's not God's will. It just means you're invading enemy territory. So we just got to be aware of that stuff. Verse 13. Uh, this man, they charged, Paul, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. So just as Paul is about to speak and defend himself, uh, Gallio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter among yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on, look at that guy's name. That's our guy Sosthenes. They turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, the new one, because it used to be Crispus, on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court, but Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Whatever. So interesting. They really didn't like Paul, threw him to the court. That, but that'd be weird. I mean, that'd be like, you know, a whole bunch of guys taking me and being like, man, this guy's out of his mind. You know, uh, he hasn't stolen any money, he didn't do anything, da, da, da. But you take me to, like, Waterbury Court, and you say to the judge, hey, listen, you know, his interpretation of Revelations is way off. You got to deal with this guy. Why are judge? Get out of here. I'm talking about this nonsense. But it's similar to that, like, because, um, you know, they're getting ruled at this time by Rome, so they're like, I don't care about your law and what you're talking, like, just, no, I don't, I'm not involved in this. And so what they did is they took the current ruler, Sosthenes, and they took him outside and beat him. I, I don't know, they were mad, and they took him out, on, took it out on him. And he was the new ruler because the old one got saved and his whole household believed. So what happens is in 1 Corinthians 1, you take a look, Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. This guy ends up getting saved too. So awesome. You love it. You love it. So the new ruler, that was probably, he probably became the ruler because he got voted in. They're probably like, listen, I'm totally against this guy too. This is wrong. He shouldn't be here. He ends up right alongside with Paul, right in this letter, hanging out with him. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. So church is rooted in the most unlikely convert, or the most unlikely to be converted. I wrote down this uh, thought here. Sometimes the first fiercest opponents become the strongest proponents. Sometimes the fiercest opponents to the gospel and to the Christian message 
become the strongest proponents for Christianity in the kingdom. It's amazing how it works. Because I think what's very interesting about that, and it doesn't happen in every case, but in a lot of cases, that's just fierce. Ah, I don't like it. I'm going to prove it wrong. There's no way. In those cases, God is, God is working in there. He is working on that person. That's still a soul that he died for, that he has value on, that he wants with him. And we're there and we're around it. And if we're not like at a decent maturity place with Christ, we could see it as, oh, they're so annoying. I have to deal with them. You know, I'll avoid them. I won't go near them. I won't talk with them. You know, it's like no, he's working on them. Like, listen, just see past the facade of the fighting and the cynicism, and go after their heart. The kingdom is looking to make its case through me right now with this person. Let's just fall in line with it. Instead of looking for reasons to get out of it. A lot of Christians don't think that way. It's as soon as I'm offended or as soon as like, they're annoying or I don't want to listen to them or they're just weird, I, you check out. The kingdom is looking to make its appeal through us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, and he's looking to do it through us with those around us. So the un- most unlikely person, don't vote him out. Don't stop praying. I know the pastor uh, that was at my church, you know, growing up, he would uh, he'd always talk about, um, he grew up, you know, 60s, 70s, and he would always talk about his hippie days and all the drugs he did and all the people he hung out with and how he dropped out in, I think, seventh grade. And... Um, it's a pretty interesting story, but um, he would always say, but he would exaggerate things. So there's some degree of truth to it. I just don't know how much, but I'd like to think there was a lot since he said it a lot. Um, but he would always say that he was just such a problem child, always in trouble. You know, he hitchhiked across the country a whole bunch of times, and um, he said that there were some friends in his town, um, older women, actually, where they would get together in their prayer meetings, and they would pray for him every single time they got together. We lift up Joe. We pray for Joe. He's being an idiot right now. God, breaking on his life. Doesn't want to hear you. Help him to hear Boom, 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 boom. And then this guy comes back, and he ends up, you know, playing in church 30 years ago, and he's just doing awesome, you know. And you could tell the drugs had an effect on him, but um, the spirit, the spirit has also had a major effect on him. And he's nowhere near the same guy that he was. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So you just never know. The most unlikely person, man, just don't, hopefully we're just not in a position where we're easily turned off by somebody's attitude, appearance, or whatever. It's a hard thing. It's got to be spirit-led, you know, because sometimes that attitude and that thing coming off is, hey, don't talk to me. And okay, then that's just, all right, that's cool. Like, we won't. But sometimes, like, it's just, it's just a facade, and God's doing something behind there. How do you know the difference between the two? Good question. Trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Got to ask Him. Like, Lord, am I? You call me to engage more with this person? Like, I, you know, I, I, what are we doing here? <laughs> and wrestle with Him on that. Could be a family member. Could even be a spouse. It could, it could be a friend. Whoever. But we, I think we. Uh, it's really good for us to seriously, seriously consider that. Heaven and God is looking to make their appeal through us 
to those around us. It's like, it, that's a legitimate plan. Like, that's the plan. That's the idea. For those around us to understand Christianity, forgiveness, and love is by hanging around the Christians that have received the forgiveness and love. A couple names here. Um, I just wrote down. Fierce opponents became strong proponents. Paul himself, he knows something about it. That was his job, killing Christians. Um, old school guy, a couple old school guys here. You can write these down if you want. They have some interesting books. Uh, this guy, Gilbert West, 1700-1756. Uh, his main mission was, I'm going to disprove the resurrection. That was his mission. I'm disproving it. Didn't happen. Somebody stole the body. Okay, it wasn't there, but it wasn't because he rose from the dead. That was his mission. He ends up getting saved. It's an awesome story. Um, this guy, there, there's so many of these, but George Littleton, another old school guy, he was like uh, mid-1700s to early 1800s. Uh, he wanted to disprove Paul's conversion. He's like, because yeah, Paul's so significant. He wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, you know, three-quarters of the New Testament. He's like, that guy's bogus. Like, there's no way. You know, he knock off a horse and got to talk to him and only talk to him and nobody saw it. Like, so he tried to disprove it. He ends up getting saved. It's an awesome story. Um, he's got some books on that. More recent people, uh, Josh McDowell. He was at college. Hey, I'm disproving God, doing everything I can to disprove it. He ends up getting saved. Uh, Lee Strobel. He's a journalist for Chicago Tribune. I'm disproving God, research everything. He ends up getting saved. Like, listen, let him go after God. Like, God's a plenty big boy. He can handle the tough questions. He can handle the rocky situations. He can handle the absurd language and harsh language. He knew it was coming out of their mouth before it even did. Hope he doesn't freak us out too much if it happens from time to time. So it's amazing how these people are just fiercely against it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm here to talk if you want to talk about stuff, but fine. Go ahead. Try to disprove them. Last one. Current church. So first one was rooted in what? Passion for sharing. Second one was most unlikely convert. Last one is church was rooted in encouragement from the Lord. It was rooted in encouragement. It was rooted in encouragement. Where am I getting that from? Acts 18. Check it out. Verse 9. It says, one night, this is after a Christmas and the whole household got baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. That's awesome. He says, don't be afraid. It's amazing how much of the Bible is, don't be afraid. Just do that this week. Like, you're on an adventure in your prayer journal. Write down or type up how many times and how many places don't be afraid is. It's crazy. Because we do what? We get afraid. <laughs> we get afraid and we worry about craziness. 
He's like, don't be afraid. I'm with you. And that's what he tells him here. He goes, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. There's power in sharing, having our words come out. I don't know how that works, but it does. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And God like, had his people planted there, just in case, as reinforcements, backups. Where are they? Who are they? I don't know. But God just encouraged him with that. And I love that that's part of the roots of this church, was a strong encouragement. I think I told you guys before about, um, you know, Julie and I have had a pretty difficult time playing this church. Just about everything has gone uh, <laughs> pretty crappy for the most part as far as just trying to make plans and break through and just do things. Everything is just, like, annoying. Like, nothing just went easily. Very few things where it's just like, oh, you know, we'll use this place and we'll go to that and we'll do this and we'll make plans for that. It's like everything's just like, ah, why is this such a problem? Actually, the one thing that like, went really easy was the 5K, believe it or not, getting approved at the town. So if that's God messing with us, that's not right. But, so that's why I'm like hopeful. We're going to get a couple hundred people, and it's going to go good. So. But for, like, everything's been so difficult. And, um, and there's been a, a couple of unique words along the way, similar to that, just words of encouragement. And I think I've shared before, but one of them, because it still sticks out to me, we talked about those pile of rocks, you know? Growing as Christians, developing a pile of rocks. Where God spoke, man, we got a rock, and we just remember. And so, right, one of those was uh, Julie and I were out, I think it was like New Year's, um, I don't know, 2010, 2011, kind of right when we started. No, 11, 12, 2011, 2012. And uh, we're at a friend's house, New Year's party, just hanging out. Uh, I got a phone call from a family member in California, and, and we don't really talk a lot because um, it's uh, on my wife's husband's side. And, uh, you know, she just called up. She's like, hey, I was in the prayer room at church, and for whatever reason, you guys came into my mind and in my thoughts, and I just wanted to share it with you. And so we're in the party, and I heard the voicemail, and I'm like, oh, geez, you know, what is this going to be? <laughs> like, do I call back? Do I even want to hear this? I don't even know, you know, because we were kind of discouraged, and we weren't, we weren't, like, doing real good. That's, that happens from time to time, by the way. You get discouraged and sometimes you're not doing real good. And that doesn't mean you fake it till you make it. Please still come to church. Please still talk to your brothers and sisters. We all go through some seasons where we're not doing real hot and we're feeling like, what is, what's going on? Or sometimes even weren't. And it's all legal. It's only illegal when that stuff has supreme influence and calling on our life, that's when it's out of bounds. We just got to know, like, man, I feel like garbage, but I guess I'll go, you know. Still go. Still be a part, still share. Because keeping silent was the issue, right, at least in this situation, and many times it is. Because when we get silent and we can get alone, it's like you're in the room with the enemy, and he's got, like, 20-pound gloves. He's like, wah, 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 you know, just body shots and head shots. Killer. So I don't even know why I said that. But oh yeah, the encouragement thing, California. So we had the voicemail, and um, so we're in the car ride around the car ride home. 
and I uh, call her up and say, hey, say, I got your voicemail, you know, what's going on? And so that, that's cool that, you know, you're praying for us, thank you. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted to share with you. So she shares this word of encouragement with us. And Julie and I got the phone here. Was I driving? I was. I was driving. I had the phone on. And uh, we were listening. And we were just crying. I mean, crying. Because we were just, I told you, we were doing bad. We were super discouraged. It was like, what? Because there was so much, like, planning and prayer that went into everything. And we were just like, oh, we were a mess. So she's, like, sharing this word of encouragement. We're crying in the car as we're driving. I don't even know how I'm seeing, you know. And, but her main, she said a lot of things. But her main thing in there, and I still have the email, and I got the rock for it. Um, but her main phrase was, you got to keep your hand to the plow. You got to keep your hand to the plow. Like, man, I got still it big time. Because that's like out of nowhere. I've never even used that phrase in my life. Keep my, I'm not a farmer. What do I keep my hand on the plow? Like, it's crazy. But it's really important, you know, that, uh, we be open and we be listening to words of encouragement that the Lord's going to bring because he's going to bring them. And if we get by ourselves and if we get quiet, you're not going to hear it. You're going to miss it. And that's sad. And that's when the enemy has a really strong chance of just coming in and just wasting some time. Wasting a lot of time, possibly. Alrighty. Oh, boy. All right, here we go. Two key questions for us. These are going to go fast, okay? Uh, First question is this. Where are my roots as a Christian? Where are my roots as a Christian? We talk talk about these roots of this church, right? Where are mine as a Christian? Like, where are they? Where are they coming from? I hope that it cause us to ask ourselves that question. Where are my roots as a Christian? Um, Because... Is it tied to a person predominantly? Is it tied to a church predominantly? Is it tied to some sort of ministry move that happened predominantly? Because that would be not good if that was the case. We want our roots to run deep to Jesus. To where we do have memories and significant Moments in our lives that were with Jesus and we feel like, man, he impacted my heart. So we can recall those. And hopefully they're not all like 15 years ago or five years ago. Like they're a little bit more recent too. So our roots have to run deep with Jesus. Have to. So as I see all this root stuff going on, I'm like, well, okay, you know, well, for me individually, like, geez, I hope... It's not rooted in, you know, selfishness. It's not rooted in fear. Um, It's not rooted in some sort of pride in some way. Um, Anything other than Jesus would be a mistake, right? Our Christian life has to be in deep with connecting with God's heart. And it can never leave that place because it fuels everything. Next question is, where are our roots as a church? I hope, like, we think about it. Well, that was the roots of the Corinthian church. Where's the roots of C.C. Nagy coming from? Well, certainly our activity has been a little bit different. Um, but our roots, our roots have been in prayer. 
Our roots have been in his word. Our roots have been with a lot of inadequate people just trying to be obedient. Um, our roots have been people that have come through, shined for a season, and then just disappeared. Nothing sad. Um, our roots have been people have come through, responded, and they're like taken off. And that's great. Um, but the basic fundamentals, at least of this church so far, and I pray that it never changes, we're going to continue to make sure that it stays the same, is prayer in his word. And currently on the table for more prayer is God develop and bring a powerful and unique sense of worship within our body. Because that's the one dynamic we're still waiting on for the Lord to put together. Because it hasn't quite happened yet. And by worship, I mean the singing part. Because it's a lifestyle of worship to be in relationship with God. So I mean the actual singing part. And just organic praise. So if we wanted to come in with a couple of instruments and a couple of voices and just sing like three verses over and over again for about 20 minutes because that's what we're doing, I want to be able to do that. Because you can't quite do that yet. But God's doing it. He's working on it. So application. Roots have to run deep in the message. It's got to run deep in the message. That's what 1 Corinthians 1.18 was all about. He talked about the message, how it's foolishness to man and it's wisdom for God, and he takes the lowly things and shames the wise things. Our roots have to be deep in the message, the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news. We have to be deep in that. We have to be. I was so encouraged to hear Rob, to hear Lori, and I just love hearing people's stories, and it's just like, it just gets down to God is good, he set me free, I don't know where we're going next, but I'm following him. It's the good news. That is the good news. Other stuff is helpful and nice, but at the end of the day, we have to know that the message, the good news, is in our hearts, and we got to share it. And we know what it is. And we're ready to walk in it. And some of us are at different places. But that's where God is calling us to be. People in relationship with him, we know the gospel. I don't know a whole lot, but I know the gospel. I know the God of the gospel. That's where he's bringing us. That's why Paul, I think, focused so much on Christ crucified and the empty tomb. I mean, that's just... All right, last one. Roots have to run deep in community. they got to run deep in community. This church plant, it started with a married couple, then it started with justice, then he got the synagogue ruler. He started bringing all these people in. And actually, Silas and Timothy showed up. Paul was happy to have everybody. It's like, bring them together. We need everybody. And that community, the way the enemy snuck in, he was able to get the fleshly part of people being like, you know what? I really like that speaker, and I connect really well with him, and he baptized me, so I'm going to like Apollo's category. And then somebody's like, well, I knew Peter, and you didn't know Peter, and he was like, man, he walked with Jesus. But even Paul didn't do that. So I follow Peter. You know, so the enemy got through there, and he played on our, like, our 
what would you call that? On our biases towards people. And we get weird about stuff like that. And I think it's good to have allegiance. But we just have to be careful because it can borderline be idolatry sometimes. We just have to be careful. So our roots have to run deep in community. Where we're all working together. Somebody's a foot, somebody's an arm, somebody's an armpit. Gotta have an armpit. Somebody's an eyeball, somebody's a whatever, but we're working together in community. And that's the most healthy way. Because you gotta have the word going out and you gotta have community. That's like the two guardrails of a Christian life. The word and community. It's a very bad thing if somebody's like off by themselves being a Christian because they know God. I steer away from that. There's nothing good going on there. It causes us to be in community to help build up the church. All right, that's a lot of stuff. I hope it's good news. Because God is really good. You know, he, man, it's amazing how he takes this funky group of Corinthians and they're even, they're stuck in a lot of their mess. And God is still like pouring out his spirit and they're just moving in amazing ways. And uh, Paul's like, listen, man, guys, you got to tighten it up. Like it's kind of, it's falling apart here. Tighten it up. Get it together. And I think it's super practical for us because many times we could get into a place where we got to tighten it up. Got to tighten it up here. I'm kind of lax about it, you know. I always remember practices in high school, like first day, whatever sport it was, first day, everybody's like, you know, first drill would be like chest passes or something. Everyone's like, you know, like, fine. Everyone's dressed real nice, all their gear is ready. Next drill would be like run around the gym, you know, don't touch the lines, going around the lines. Everybody's like in line, no gaps, you know, we're all going. Next thing, suicide. Everybody touch the line, touch the line, touch the line. Like after six weeks of practice, kids' pants are down here. Kids got two different shoes on. Kid walks in. Yeah, I was like at the, okay, do a lap. Where's the corner? They just like went like this. I did my lap. You know, nobody's touching a lot. Like stuff just falls off. We got to tighten things up for the spirit really to move and have his way because it's a lot of hard work for a church to be unified one in mind and one in heart. That's, that's a miracle. That's tough to get two people to do that. 